All right, buongiorno. <laughs> Ciao. That's Italian. Wait. I think ciao's goodbye. Um, it it's another episode of Video Vampires. Yeah. This is Mickey. And Jessica. And uh, we are covering Italy on our tour across uh, the world of horror. Yeah. And um, before we get into that, you saw some things. Oh, I saw, I saw some things. Um, okay, so I'll start off by, I saw The Fanatic. Uh, it's with Fred Durst. Uh, directed by Fred Durst. Yes. With John Travolta. Um, now, it's, I don't, it's really weird. I, I didn't hate it, but, like, it's definitely flawed. But here's the thing is, like, especially, I think all Q&As make movies more endearing. Yes. Uh, obviously, when you have someone who loves film and they just want to make something. Yeah. Um, also, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't great. Or they, or they loved what they made. Yeah, yeah, and, like, uh, it, first of all, it's really strange that there's a relationship with Fred Durst and John Travolta. They're, like, buds. Yeah. Like, not only with this movie, but, like, they they were like, oh, yeah, we talk all the time, and, like, it's it's strange. Yeah. And John Travolta is strange anyway. Like, he's a strange man. He's also, like, a noted Scientologist. There was, like, all this backstory. He's made some really fucking bad films lately. He's yeah. also made some great films. Um, so it's weird. It's very strange. Also, the crowd was really weird. So this movie was about, um, like a, a crazed fanatic, but who, um, ends up stalking a movie star. But like the whole plot twist is that like the movie star ends up being an asshole. And it, it's more like, you know, it, it, it plays both sides a lot. Like this guy is doesn't mean harm he's he that John Travolta plays him like he's autistic and has like a hyper focus on this one um sure. on this one guy who has a, is actually played by Devin Sawa and I was excited because I kind of like Devin Sawa um mostly obviously because of Casper you know growing up I always I fucking loved Casper you know he's in that yeah he was Casper I never saw it Wait, you've never seen Casper with Christina Ricci no Oh my god, weird. Oh. Um, and then obviously he was in all the finals. Well, not all of them, most of them. Some the first few. Idle hands. Idle hands. Yeah, really fun stuff. So I do like that he was cast, but I felt like it was the wrong casting. Like it just didn't feel right. But um, during the Q and A, Fred kind of ruined it in the way that he said he originally wrote it for Bill Paxton. Which is also weird that Fred Durst and Bill Paxton were friends, which he talked about. Um, now that I, it kind of, ru it didn't ruin it for me, but like, I felt like it totally makes more sense that yeah. this part would have been for Bill Paxton. It makes sense. I, you can like feel it in the way it's, it's written. Mm -hmm. Um, it would have been probably a better film, not to say anything against Devin Sawa. Cause I think he's, I sure. think he's like a fun actor, you know, but it just would have made way more sense. And I didn't hate it. I, I just didn't like it. But here's the thing is like, they it just wasn't complete. I feel like they only shot it in 16 days, but they're, I feel like the whole idea of this movie could have been really good. Yeah. Um, they probably just didn't have the budget. They probably didn't have the time. Uh, that's just how it works, but... You know, the funny thing is that when we were doing our... We were watching Chud our episode, we were for our episode on Chud. Yeah. I got a text from a friend of mine, my friend Jose, um, and he, had, you know, he... He was like, hey, I, I don't know what this, I don't know the, how legit this is, but I just got asked to, um, they, they're, Fred Durst is making a movie, they wanted to use one of my songs in the opening yeah. credits, 
and he gave me the brief synopsis, and he was like, yeah, it's, like, weird. It's, like, John Travolta plays this dude who's stalking Devin Sawa. And I was like, that's amazing. Because I didn't think it was he's stalking some movie actor played by Devin Sawa. I thought it was a movie about John Travolta <laughs> playing a stalker, literally stalking Devin Sawa, the actor. That might have been actually a better premise. And I was like, that sounds fucking amazing. Because I was like, what a random person to pick for, like, a stalky, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I told my friend, and, and um, you might be able to contribute to that part, where I said, like, look, it's a, it's a win-win. If the movie's really good and surprisingly really good, people are going to be like, holy shit, that's a really good movie, and they'll notice your song. If it's a bad movie... It's still, yeah. Yeah, your song's still in the movie, and they're not going to notice, like, they're not going to be like, God, that movie sucked. Do you remember that fucking song in the beginning? It's going to be like, oh, that movie sucked. Fred Durst can't direct. But the song was pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, so... Um, it it wasn't... it's one of those movies that I still, I really didn't hate it. I just, I don't want to hate it either. You know, yeah. like if, if I thought that he was a douchebag and I would be like, okay, well, cool. Everything he make is going to suck from here sure. on out too, probably. But it, it really just didn't feel like that. I like, you know, when some movies you feel the attempt yeah. and you know it's there, but it just didn't, it just didn't pan out. Um, John Travolta is really fucking weird. You know, I was going to say that because, and again, I didn't see this with you, but, like, the impression that I get and something that somebody told me, you know, a review I read was, like, John Travolta's trying to be Nicolas Cage. Yeah, except, yeah, I see that. Like, Ex- not face-off Nicolas Cage. Like, yeah, but, like, but I, I, they're very similar in, in the, their mannerisms, too, and that could be from working together, but there was a sto- there were stories that they were telling, too, and jo- John Travolta, especially, the crowd was weird. The crowd was old, okay? It was a members-only screening. N- n- no offense to the crowd or anything, but there was a lot of super fans for Travolta, and uh-huh. it, it was strange, and, and, and the whole... Of course, they're going through the whole point of the movie about being stalked and then that, how that changes a person. John sure. Travolta was even talking about some of his stalkers, and he was very—he was being very nice about it. He said what, someone broke into his house and hid in his closet once, and he's like, of course, you can't react, but she scared me, and then, you know, you have to also have a rapport with this person to know that they're a human and that they're... And I was like, this is so fucking weird. And then some guy in the audience was like... I've been waiting years for a, a signature from you. Can I have it? And he, I was just like, this is so strange. That's scary. Yeah, it was just really weird. It was a really weird vibe, but like it also kind of made it a little bit better. But the cast really seemed to enjoy each other. Yeah. Like they all really liked doing the movie. I think some of the scenes are really fun and they're good. Yeah. And you could see the whole point of the movie. It just didn't work out right. good. Unfortunately, I guess there was a lot of things that were cut because they couldn't get their rights to it. There's like, you know, John Travolta plays a fanatic and then there's a scene where I'm going to ruin it. He kidnaps the star. Yeah. But he's acting out these scenes of horror movies. Um, and so he's acting out misery. But that was all cut because they couldn't, get you know. Rights, yeah. yeah, so I thought that oh. was really fucking funny. I, I mean, John Travolta has this character is convincing almost too much a little bit where sure. you're, you're, you're a little freaked out. It Again, I don't hate it, but it, it just didn't work for me. But I, I honestly I honestly think I, I feel fondly towards it more yeah. than I should, but I just, I don't, I don't want to hate it. Yeah, I just, like I said, I just, I heard that, like, Nick, John Travolta's whole thing now is, like, trying to dial it to 11, like, Nicolas Cage does and everything, you know? Yeah. And it's like, but Nicolas, there's something about Nicolas Cage that, like, when he does it, and the, and the part suits it, 
it's awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, but then he does it in his National Treasure, you know? I mean, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like John Travolta doesn't have that. I mean, John Travolta's really good when he dials it back, you know? Like, uh-huh. when he's, you know, Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, um, Blowout, you know? I mean, Grease, Saturday Night Fever, these are all him not going, he's not playing this, like, over-the-top character. I mean, even, yeah. if, even when there are over-the-top things happening, like, he's still dialing it back a little bit, and I think that's when John is really great. I mean, oh, and let's not forget Look Who's Talking, which is... One of the funnest. That's crazy. It really is. It, yeah. It's it's really fun. Um, yeah, I, I didn't... I don't know. I, I think people should watch it. It's not really worth your time, but it is. Yeah. Like, if you're bored, I'd say check it out. I think but. people are going to check it out out of interest anyway. To yeah, see it, I watched Gotti and it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I meant more of like just the Fred Durst is directing a movie and like, I mean, Fred, this is the same guy who like... That also made me feel a little bad too. Like, okay, because here's the whole thing. When you watch someone speak, especially about their dreams yeah. and he, he was just like, I've always wanted to do this, but you know, like all of a sudden the band blew up and it took off and then I was stuck being that guy and then you're like, fuck, this dude had a dream once and it was crushed by the machine, you know? Um he, he helped run. I mean, yeah. I, 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 no, I mean, but yeah. obviously, when you're, and also, you know, it's it's interesting um, hearing someone say that. Like, and you're you're gonna take it, and it's. I have this whole backstory about, um, like, how one of my friends, Mike, um, <laughs> when Limp Biscuit got famous, he made a website called limbiscuitsucks.com and it's actually it's really funny he made this website and we all used to post about it yeah. and it it was it just so happened that Wes Borland from Limbiscuit found out about it and I was like 15 years old and he had emailed me along with Mike and a few others that would just it was just me and my friends in a small ass town East Bridgewater yeah. Massachusetts and uh he actually took the time to write us and he was like hey man like this is this was like our our dream to be musicians and you guys all of a sudden shit on us like I just want to know why and I'm like 15 so I don't give a shit and I don't I didn't think it was really him it was really him uh Westmoreland did email me and my friends and so much so that they actually met with Mike who was 17 at the time you know we were in high school and uh, they gave him a job. So it, they actually talk about it. They gave him a job. This is when like what is the album? Oh, significant other. What, that song Nookie. I did it all for the Nookie. Uh, chocolate starfish and the whatever. Is that, but, uh, yeah, exactly. When that album came out, anyway, they gave him a job and they were like, "Listen, you design sites really well. Can you design our site?" And it was really, it's it's so fucking funny to like hear that too, because you kind of think about that band and the name and the way they look and think that they're douchebags, but they're kind of not. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say, because I feel like Limp Bizkit does suck. They com. do, I, but yeah, whether or not you yeah. like the band, you're kind of just like, yeah, they did kind of fall into this like whole new metal monster, and then like, yeah, of course, you're going to act like a rock star if you're given the sure. opportunity to be one, especially when you're young, but like honestly, looking back, you're kind of like, maybe they all weren't the douchiest douchebags that they could have been, you know? Um, They obviously cared enough about their fans, one, to care what happens when all of a sudden their fans turn on them, and then two, to give them a job and an opportunity right out of high school to be like this... It's so weird, but, and then to to hear someone talk about, like, this is what I wanted to do, and obviously, like, I was supposed to play this part of Fred Durst, and you're like, damn, man, that's harrowing. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it just made it his attempt a little more endearing was you're like yeah man I get it sometimes dreams die um and then you can come back and make a film with fucking John Travolta but anyway I also saw a few other movies um which 
are really fucking fantastic. Like what? Um, in Fabric. I texted you oh, probably God, right yeah. after I, I saw it. It is so... I fucking love it. It's uh, directed by Peter Strickland. Um, it's it's dark and creepy and colorful and, like, uh, it's about a haunted dress, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so good. The score is what Goblin... Like, to me, it feels like what Goblin did for Suspiria. Like, yeah. it just is fucking perfect it fits it's it's done by cavern of antimatter um which is one of the guys from stereo lab actually i was yeah Yeah. i was listening to it when you when you came in um it's fucking great i honestly loved it so much it's just the right amount of everything that i love in one movie yeah um and then i saw parasite which is oh um, god i I cannot wait to see that he did snowpiercer yeah yeah um and then oh okja yep uh it is, it's probably, those two films are probably the best films of the year. Uh, at that's least so what far. I'm looking forward to the most, yeah. Parasite has, like, it's just this really, you. I've been thinking about it ever since I saw it. It's this really great movie about, like, the class system and, and the rich. And, yeah. And it's just, it's awesome. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to ruin it because it's not out yet. Right. Um, I know it's premiering at Beyond Fest 2, which I want to talk about because I got Oh, God, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it is, it is masterful. Um, the, I can't remember it, Kang Ho Song, he's actually in Snowpiercer and Thirst too. Yeah. Um, a notable actor, but every, the, the whole family's in it. It, It's just, it's perfect. I can't describe, it's just like a perfect movie about, about social class and, and. That's what I hear. Yeah. It is it is so good and I, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. Yeah. Um and especially since he he's layered this this movie. It's it's beautiful and, and it's kind of sad and I I really love it. Um it's definitely worth seeing and and he's like probably also one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Um especially with Park Yeah. So but I, yeah. I, I really, really, really want to see Paris. Those are, those are two excellent movies. I'm not sure when in Fabric. I know it... it uh, next month, I think. Okay, good. Next month or the month after. It's pretty yeah. exciting. It's official premiere. I know it had some... I know it played in Arizona and, and some other places um, for like one night, I think. But yeah. um, you can find them online. But I would go see them in the theater as well. Beyond Fest got announced and, and tickets <sighs> went on sale. So they're doing Parasite with him in person. And I'm very... I'm very jealous because uh, I didn't get tickets. For that well, one. I mean, you know, it, it's funny because they announced the date. Uh, they announced what they were doing for Beyond Beyond Fest. For those who don't live in LA, it is the big genre festival that we have um, end of September into the beginning of October. Um, a lot of great shit has been there. Uh, you know, we've gone every year to go see stuff. Uh, that's where we saw the 4K restoration oh, of Suspiria, which yeah. was like, I mean, beautiful, amazing. Um, I, you know, I saw, um, I, I went and saw Hellraiser there. Yeah. That was really cool. Oh, yeah, that's right. You got me that record. That's right. That's right. And then, um, I mean, the, every year there's always, like, something, you know, they, they have, like, one massive thing. Like, I think one year it was Schwarzenegger for Predator or Running Man. Oh, you yeah. That? And apparently it was one of the greatest Q&As ever, where, like, Schwarzenegger and was And Kurt Russell about. was there. Kurt Russell was there for, uh, what? Was it Big Trouble in Little China? We, we saw that after Beyond Fest. We saw was that it? at the Egyptian, but we saw that after. Be- that was like I saw. I see so much there. Right. I, I'm we're spoiled, right. especially. I'm a little sad that the whole there's like a whole conspiracy. Yes. With Netflix and Netflix is trying to buy the Egyptian theater. Uh, yeah. But um, I got. But I was more saddened by the fact that they announced. Uh, I was really excited, and yet I cr- I knew deep down that I was like, this is not going to pan out for me. 
uh, Joe Bob was going to uh, be yes. the office, and I have to go to a wedding. So I love my friends very much. I'm very excited to be at your wedding. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but um, fuck, like I, I know I, was, I, hit, like, I texted I texted Mickey and I was like, I can't believe you're not going to be here for Joe Bob because I know you know that's your dude. I know. I'm very upset. I'm very excited. And I'm like also excited because I feel like, you know, and there's that like there's that high school part of me that's like I bet half fucking people there are you know are going to be there for Joe Bob. Just got into him through the Shutter stuff, yeah. which is great. I mean, I want him to be on Shutter, and I want people to be into but Joe you, Bob. Yeah. But you, yeah, I was like, you were I was like, yeah, exactly. Uh, he's my Devin Sawa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I, you know, the the problem that we both had with Beyond Fest, and this happens every fucking year. And it's getting ticket. to the, it's the ticketing sites that they use. Um, just don't. I, it took me. I bought one ticket for one. I was. I'm like, you know what? I can only go to one thing. So, really, logistically, time wise, I mean, I might. Oh no, I'm going to two things. I'm actually Diego and I are going to see. Um, there's a movie called The Girl on the Third Floor. Oh yeah. With CM Punk, the wrestler. And- I, you know what? I don't. I don't want to like him for some reason. I think because I didn't like his attempt at the UFC career. I, I thought it was him. cheap and lame. But I did watch the trailer for that, and it looks really I love good. Him. I think he's great. We're going to see that. But I'm, I, I, I bought tickets to go see. Um, they're going to have Tom Atkins is going to be there for yeah. a triple feature of Halloween Three, Night of the Creeps, and The Fog. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this ticket. It took me 25 minutes to get one ticket. Because the site was just, like, delayed, it was crashing, it was yeah. whatever. I um, panic bought every ticket I could, which I, I've made out, I made out pretty good. There were some things I didn't want, I didn't get, but. Um, it just makes me mad, um, that, cause, like, yes, it's awesome that so many people, like, are into Beyond Fest, that it's gonna crash a site, but also, guys, get a better fucking, work with a better company. I mean, I'm I not even gonna say the company that Jess and I, I was gonna for, say, that specifically did ticketing, yeah. they should go to, but... Still, guys. I know. I think I uh, I, sl- I tried to politely mention that last yeah. year. I was like, there's other ticketing sites that have certain server yes, stuff that, can, that, that can handle this. That can handle this, but unfortunately, you know, and, and not that brown paper tickets, I, I just want to say, it's not that they're a bad site. A lot of their proceeds go to charity, uh, which you can directly donate, um, but also there's... It just is not prepared for that type of volume. Right. Um, but I got tickets for a lot of shit. So, Go for it. Um, color, color me out of space. No, color out the color. Out color of space. out of space. Uh, oh, I which was Richard Stanley's new movie. It's yeah. It's based on a, a Lovecraft story that, um, to my knowledge, has only been a uh, the first adaptation of that story was The Curse, starring Will Wheaton, and directed by the dad from Firestarter. He's been in a bunch oh, of Oh, yeah, stuff. yeah, I can't it's remember. It's an 80s that. movie. It's got Claude Akins from Twilight Zone episodes. It's a great fucking movie, but that's what Colorado Space I, is. I think I talked about Richard Stanley a little while ago because yeah. I watched Hardware, yep. which is a yep. great movie. Um, and then Daniel Isn't Real, which is kind of like, um, like if Drop... I was... At least I looked at the synopsis, and it was like if Drop Dead Fred was a horror movie, mm. um, which is interesting because Drop Dead Fred kind of is <laughs> a horror, horror movie. movie. yeah. Um, Watch it high, and then you're going to be like, this is terrifying. Because that's what I did the last yeah. time I watched it. I got really high and watched it. And I was like, man. Um, this is really fucked up. It's really up. fucking scary, yeah. Um, and then The Lodge. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good one. And then Little Monsters I also got, which is playing right after. I keep um, forgetting that that is not. That it's not I know that it's not The Little Monsters. I got Come to Daddy uh, which, with Elijah Wood, who is just like a cool horror ner- nerd. So I feel so like. 
Colorado Space and the... Both have Elijah Wood, too, right? Well, they're, they're produced by his compression, yeah. Spectre Vision or Spectre Vision, which is great. You know, um, it's super cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely cool. And then I lastly got the Natural Born Killers um, reunion, which I'm very excited for. I... I some people feel a certain way about this movie, but Me. that movie, I know. Well, I which is weird. Well, I guess it's not, but I like Oliver Stone. I can't help it. And then also, I saw that movie when I was young. Yeah. Um, I was probably like ten or eleven, and I thought it was the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Well, it's funny because you know how you're talking about like when you watch somebody talk about a movie they made, and it, it makes it more endearing. Mm-hmm. That's actually the exact opposite. Right? <laughs> Oliver Stone talk about a movie he made, and it. If I liked the movie, yeah. I find my I lean towards not liking it. If I dislike the movie, I lean towards I fucking hate this movie because fuck all. I mean, he's there's no there's no doubt about it. The guy's fucking great. I mean, yeah. he's a really JFK is still a great movie. Um, Natural Born Killers, as much as I don't like it, has some great moments in it, like really, oh my really God, strong yeah. moments. But you listen to him talk about it, and he's such an arrogant piece of shit. <laughs> and I just I never. I mean, there's some directors that I'm like, okay, I'll let you have it. This is not one I want to... I mean, he's such a douche. Like, um, and it's like, for the amount of work that he... The amount of great stuff he's done, mm-hmm. in comparison to how much stuff that I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, um, Alexander or Wall Street 2. All these things. I'm uh, just like, like yeah. fuck you. Like, where I do you get off thinking? Yeah. yeah. Um, also, oh, well, he... Well, fuck, what's the name of that movie that he made recently? Um, I liked it, but also I would love two boyfriends that grow uh, that, weed. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, with Salma Hayek yeah. and Blake. Lively? Was that her? I think it might have been. He's just he's so up his own ass. I know, but I I kind of like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I love Natural Born Killers. Yeah. Like that. That was like also the movie that like you know. There's always a movie that like disturbs your parents, and then like you have posters in your room, and they like question. They're like, "Is my daughter gonna be a murderer?" It's right. like, yeah, that was it for I'm me. I'm happy that Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis are gonna be there. Oh yeah, I love them. Um, I do. And, and you know, and Alberson's gonna be there, so you can tell him. What a douchebag, I think. Yeah, I can't wait care. to do that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guess what? My friend makes this your douche. Um, hey, I'll he make OliverStoneSucks.com. Yeah, he, also, he might have me design his website. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I recently, I watched um, The Beyond. I probably watch it like once a year. Mm. Um, That's a good one. It really is. It's just because, you know, we were, we were talking about Italian horror, which is probably the most notable. Outside of. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. I feel like I say this about every country that we go to. I'm like, oh, I love this, and this type of horror is the best, and it's like so notable. But you have these like powerhouses, and it's um, yeah. giallo, 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 yeah, giallo, um, film genre, um, which is you know you have these masters of horror like, um, well, that's what I was Argento and, yeah. and Mario Bava and Lombardo Bava and um, Fulci and um, Antonio. And it's funny because uh, the, uh, in, I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but when um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there is a slight nod again to yeah. Antonio Margarete, which yeah. they really beat to death in, um, in uh, what's that? Nazi film that he made. Inglorious Bastards. Yes, where, where they were repeating Antonio yeah. Margarete, Margarete, which I'm, you know, it's kind yeah. of funny. But he also was a director, um, and it's I guess it's like he was all psyched because uh, Quentin Tarantino said that um, Cannibal Apocalypse was like one of his favorite films, which it is. Some of the films are so good, you watch them just like The Beyond or Suspiria um, or any of you know the the films of that era, and they're just fucking great. Well, yeah, and that was the thing, too, is that the Italian horror, like, you know, they've got the giallo genre, which is, um, 
you know, it's just more like less supernatural, more of like there's no, but there, there's They're the like detective, yeah, like, the, like sexy, the killer with the glove, with the um, with the with the deep black red, yeah, and the black gloves. It's always that that thing, and then like, but then again, they have you know the other thing the Italians have a really great foothold in is like really fucking weird, um, visually striking horror films. You yeah, know? Um, you know Baba. I think um, I, I was just thinking. Let's also most of. A lot of Argento's films, while stunning, are also kind of, like, laughable in a way of how ridiculous they are at some points. I mean, yeah. I, sensationalism I of, like... We talked about that when we watched Opera with Matt, and it's like... And, and that drove me nuts because it's like, the thing is that I don't think Argento is an idiot. I think he, I think he doesn't care. So yeah, he, so ambivalent, like, but yeah. that doesn't mean... I don't know. Well, I, I mean, on a technical level, I think he's... he's He's brilliant. Like, you know, his, yeah. his, but, like, I think when it comes to a story, he's not going for logic as much as he's going for mood and atmosphere, which is, I think, a lot of Italians um, do. I mean, like, um, uh, you were saying that you were watching some Baba stuff. Like, one of the yeah. great Baba... Which is on Fandor, by the way, so if you guys have it, there's a ton of stuff on there, yeah. like Black Sabbath. Shutter as well. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, but Black Sunday, which is, like, the first... Because, like, you mean, uh, Baba got his start doing... Um, he was working as a, as a cameraman and then, like, set, you know, working outside of being a director and he worked on a few like the Italian Hercules films with Steve Reeves and then he like kind of took over one of them but like the director was like no the director who's credited was like I want Baba to get the credit and Baba was like I don't know if I should get the credit and it's like whatever but then but Black Sunday was the first one he really did and it was like it's very heavy on atmosphere maybe not so much it's hard I, I, can, yeah. I have a hard time relaying the plot that's it's super confusing it's just like was that written by Sashetti shit I don't know. I know. Uh, no, there was like some beef between them as well, right? Because yeah. didn't he write a lot of? Uh, uh, oh no, wait, that was Fulci. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those films. Yeah. Right. Um, it was like a weird incestuous Italian director horror thing yeah. going on. There's like a little bit of a thing between Fulci and Argento, right? Well, yeah. So there, I think there was like a bit of a competition between them. Um, the weird thing is, that, okay, so this is how I've always understood it. Bava. Uh, was one of Argento's mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, and Argento himself got to start doing screenwriting, and he wrote, he co-wrote the screenplay for um, Once Upon a Time in the West by Leone. Yes. Um, Another Italian powerhouse. Exactly. Um, and it's funny, because, like, they're, they're, what was great about them is that they're not, the, you know, like, with, with, with the Spaghetti Westerns, I feel like they're, even though they're radically different, it's, it's somebody... Who's taking? Who's who's trying to do tell a story about a time period that's very? It, it is kind of very exclusive mm-hmm. to America, but it's told from an outside perspective. So yeah. it's like you got this weird like, and yet the, I feel like from what I've heard, you know, um, history wise, like it's closer. Our spaghetti, the spaghetti westerns are a little bit more closer to a real the Wild West as opposed to like the John Wayne, yeah, you know, era, you know. But it's like so it's really weird how like same thing with with Italian horror where there's like a lot of American influences in there but they've gone through so many filters that now it becomes this completely different thing but um Baba inspires Argento Argento ends up kind of mentoring uh, Lombardo Baba who yeah. is his son and Lombardo Baba directed uh, The Demons which you and which I we done, which yeah. we've done and we've, we did opera right yeah, we, did, we opera. did opera and like and that's what I was saying is that like I know that Argento comes off as like on his good movies. I mean, in his bad movies, yeah, I mean, I agree. But, like, on his good movies, he's like, people are like, what the, f-? like, if you just turn, if, if it just goes a little bit to the left, it's a terrible movie. If it goes a little bit to yeah. the right, it's a, it's a work of art. And it's like, I think he's more interested in, like, 
atmosphere, mood, feeling than he than is he about, is, like, yeah. let's break it down. Like, I mean, you could nitpick Suspiria and be like, and we have, and we've talked about it. There's, like, there's parts in Suspiria that are so... The girls all seem to be talking like they're they're fourteen years old because yeah, it was written for fourteen year olds and they were like we can't do it so let's, yeah. just, let's just keep the dialogue the same but let's get the you know and it's like oh my god these fucking eighteen year old girls are acting like yeah you know. and the dialogue sometimes you're like what right um but yet everything else just like completely you don't care because the film looks like a fucking magical nightmare um, what, what you said the beyond and what else. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just saying um, about how Fandor has a bunch of stuff, but it's hard yeah. to... There's a lot of free stuff, but I was trying... I, it was hard to find subtitles for a lot of the older Italian films. I think Baba, in in that genre, the giallo... Giallo. Giallo, yeah. Um, genre, I think it started really with him and the girl who knew too much, and uh, I was just trying... I was desperately trying to find a version with English subtitles, uh, but... Well, the funny thing is that Baba also did Twitch of the Death Nerve, which I think is also Bay of Blood. The, the Bay of Blood has a few different... I think we're talking... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then... Well, that is also... I couldn't get my Fandor working, unfortunately. But, but that's also a precursor to um, American slasher films. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, there is a death scene in Twitch of the Death Nerve that is copied. And it is go- I mean, like, there's just no way it's not anything but um, in Friday 13th Part 2 where yeah. two characters get uh, a spear run through them while they're on the bed together. So it's like going, you know, it's just going through them, going through the bed. That's from Twitch of the Death Nerve. And like, um, uh, so it's just interesting how, you know, you're right, like horror, it's, Italy's a real big powerhouse in horror. Um, I think, um, I think it's weird because obviously, especially that 4K restoration was so good and you think about Argento, but like Falci the Beyond is so good and the ending is so cool and dark and Scares, scares me yeah. yeah um and there's like some really great scenes i got just single scenes of like the windows burst and it's only the shot of the hallway with the windows burst and there's like a slight breeze and smoky yeah. and it's like ah oh, just it's just so it's like such a dreamscape you know nothing tops atmosphere the way yeah um, the way the italians did it did they really don't I mean, it really, it just, you can't. I mean, you can go with, like, like I said, you can go with Bava and Black Sunday and, like, this really weird, like, you know, it's very foggy, very dark, very weird. Yeah. And then you've got, like, movies like The Beyond where it's very colorful mm-hmm. and also very, like, it, moody and atmospheric. I mean, like, it's, it's insane. And, and, you know, kind of slowly moving towards the movie we watched, um, you know, another thing about Italy that, like, um, or Italian horror that I really like is um, there is a comic book came out in the 80s um, Tizano Sclavi uh, wrote this comic book called Dylan Dog. Yeah. And Dylan Dog is funny because that a lot of that pulls from because um, I had you read some of it too. Like in, in the in first ish, uh, in one of the first one of the stories that I had you read, like there's you know they're at a movie theater and they're watching American War in London. They're watching Dawn of the Dead. Like, yeah. He, he's he's just pulling from these movies. Um, but Dylan Dog is this uh, instead of calling him a paranormal investigator, he's a nightmare detective. But he's this brooding romantic detective who ex-scotland yard detective who now just specializes in um strange and unusual cases um and he, he's modeled after rupert everett which is so weird because <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll, um but he's got an assistant that's supposed to be groucho uh, a knockoff of groucho marx but in america we had to change it um you know, to, and I think we just call him. Uh, I kind of like that, because he was, I, for some reason, he really annoyed me in the comic. Yeah. As, especially as Groucho Marx. I, I was like, I felt 
uh, little uh, empathetic with the female because she was like immediately turned yeah. off by it, and I was like, uh, I am too. And he's and he's like that and everything, you know. And um, but Dylan Dog was such a, a sensation in Italy, like this horror comic um, that um, like Umberto Eco, who who wrote the book Name of the Rose and um, who calls Pendulum and everything. Like he's even like endorsed it, being like I could spend the rest of my life reading Dylan Dog comics, and they're these really like. He doesn't always deal with Supernatural. They're always bizarre. Like, in fact, mm-hmm. I think only maybe two stories in that collection I gave you were, like, Supernatural. The rest of them are, like, there's one issue where he's locked out of his house. Or, his, you know, and he's just wandering around the streets of London all night. And he's just getting into these weird... There's also a serial killer out there. And he's getting into these weird, surreal misadventures in this one night. He even goes to a club where the musicians in the, in the band are singing the song from... Singing the songs from Phantom of the Paradise. Uh-huh. Like, really weird stuff like that. Um... And, and, you know, Dylan Dog has been one of my favorite things. And unfortunately, like, all I have is this collection, Dark Horse Comics put out. Um, oh, the, cool. The Dylan Dog Case Files, which is just basically, like, a collection of all of their individual, like, they had, they, they would release these little, you know, mini, like, graphic novels of, like, two Dylan Dog comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they released, like, four or five of them. And then the book that I have is all of them combined. The, yeah. But there's so much more. Um, in fact, uh, a fan of Dylan Dog was uh, Michele Soavi. Uh-huh. And we've talked about him because he... Because he was in Demons, What and he yes, also yeah. did... Uh, one of the... I, I really like it, but The Church or... Uh, I, I think The Church is one of the most underrated films. It's so it's, interesting. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, it was supposed to be Demons 3. And, was it really? Yeah. And, and, and at that point, well, by the time they were done making it, it was kind of like... It clearly doesn't follow the same trajectory yeah. as 1 and 2. Demons 1 and 2 are like like very very quick-moving, very in-your-face, like all these zombies. It's like a, a mo- demon apocalypse or a zombie apocalypse, whereas the church is a little bit more of a slow burn. Yeah, know? and then the very end, and then you're like, whoa. Whoa, yeah, exactly. Like, all this shit happens, but it doesn't have the same, like, it's not propelled by, like, uh, the way that Demons 1 and 2 is. And, and, and I, I say, you know, I think a lot of Demons 1 and Demons 2 is moved by the music, the soundtracks. Uh-huh. Whereas church, the church has this amazing soundtrack. Which is not. also by Goblin, which also did a lot and of... They all, and also, Keith, you know, it was good there. Argento, it was, yeah. It was a dude from Goblin. It was also Keith Emerson from yes. Emerson, Lake and Palmer, mm-hmm. who also did the music for um, Inferno. But Michele Suave was a... Um, he had worked... He was in Demons, but he also worked as a... Oh, yeah, his, like, protege. Yeah, pro- uh, Argento's protege. Yeah, in fact, there was actually... I was watching an interview with with, um, with Michele Suave, and there's three directors that he was uh, he worked with. Joe D'Amato, who is... Joe D'Amato's an Italian director who has a, has an Italian name. They just... he just His American pen name was... Or his pseudonym was Joe D'Amato. Dario Gento, and then uh, Terry Gilliam, who he... Oh, yeah! Michele Suave worked as assistant director to Terry Gilliam as well and learned from him, so that's who he considered his three Top, mentors. yeah. yeah. Um, which imagine them as your mentors. Yeah. Just amazing. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> wild, fantastic. which kind of makes sense his movies are just so fucking weird. Exactly. And um he um you know, he befriended Tizano Sclavi cuz he really wanted to make a Dylan Dog movie. Um uh, Dylan Dog was by the way, Dylan Dog the comic book was made into a movie a few years ago. It was a garbage film made by a bunch of Americans who had made a previous Ninja Turtles reboot in like oh. 2006 and they made it with Brandon Ralph, the guy who played Superman in Superman Returns. He's not a bad dude. He seems like a really cool guy. Just not at all who you would cast for Dylan Dog. They just didn't get it. They were like, oh, yeah. he's a paranormal detective. Let's make it about that. And said so they, they lost all of the the dark humor, all of the po- like the the poetry. Like, Dylan Dog's character is he's always waxing po- poetically about, 
love or yeah. you know, life and death. And, and But T- Michele Salave wanted to do Dylan Dog. Tizano Salave was like, here, here's, here's this book that I've been working on. And it was Delamorte. It was a book called Delamorte Delamore. Um, and um, of love and death. And uh, Michele Suave reads it and he's like, he couldn't even finish it. He said he was just like, whatever. He just, it was, he wasn't there yet. He hadn't gotten it yet. And then, of course, um, you know, a few years later, the book comes out and the book is this huge success in Italy. And he's like, fuck, man, this guy just gave me this. <laughs> like, so, all right, I'm going to make this into a movie. And that is the movie we watch, which was. Um, yeah. Um, Della Morte Della Morte in Italy. It's called Cemetery Man in the U.S. Why? I don't know why. Uh, I think I think the the actual name of it is great. Um, it's the Italian name. Um, and another interesting stuff before I could kind of deep dive into Cemetery Man is that the character from Cemetery Man is shows up in oh. Dylan Dog in 1980. I think it was really? an 86 or 87 comic book where the two characters are interacting. Uh-huh. Um, because they're 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 very similar. They're very different. I mean, the thing that's about really surreal. Because and it's funny because as we were watching it, I was like, "Wow, this reminds me of Dylan Dog." And then you're like, "No, Dylan Dog is based off of Rupert Everett." But this right. is and it's. I was like, "Oh, weird. That's making my brain hurt." And I think that's what they, I think that's exactly what the screenwriter did was he took the book Delamore to Delamore and he took Dylan Dog comic books and he found. I mean, here's the weird thing: is that so Cemetery Man is not a Dylan Dog adaptation. They're completely different characters, but he takes a lot of Dylan Dog's personality yeah. traits and puts them into this character. But they had interacted in a comic book before, um, which is funny because, like I, you know, we were saying Dylan Dog was modeled after Rupert Everett. The character of Francisco De La Morte in um, in Cemetery Man is played by Rupert Everett, yeah. who is like this handsome, like, yeah, very handsome dude, very. Uh, very charismatic, even when he's playing. Anyway, well, <laughs> um, so even when he's playing the cemetery man, right? The engineer. The engineer. So he's he's uh, quick synopsis. Um, Rupert Everett plays this uh, undertaker, Francisco de la Morte, who lives with his uh, his only real companion is this uh, kind of half witted uh, guy Nagi, who like is like his like his bumbling assistant, you know, and uh, he works in a cemetery where. And he doesn't know if it's happening everywhere else in the world, which I think is really interesting, given the ending. But um, he's not really sure if uh, it's happening in the rest of the world. But in his cemetery that he works at, that he's the caretaker for, that he lives at, um, after a certain amount of days, the dead come back to life. And so right off the bat, you're thinking, like, oh, this is going to be this weird zombie movie. Um, And it is, but it's also more... It's more, it's very, it's strange, but you kind of get there, after a while you're like, oh, okay, this, is, is this like purgatory, or is this like some weird dimension that yeah. they're trapped in? Um, I think my favorite part of the whole film, and I laughed about this a lot, is uh, his character when he's in the car and he's chasing after Nagi, and he's just like hanging his head yeah. lazily out the window and then he just drives up. I don't know why it's so fucking funny. Because he's a he's a moody, misanthropic yes. <laughs> uh, guy who like is just very you know, he, there's a sense of loneliness to him and one of the things, that, one of the major storylines of this whole movie is that he meets... This woman, yeah. He meets a woman and he falls in love with her but at the end, like, he meets her three different variations of her. Like, three different... Three different incarnations of her, I guess you could say. It's played by the same actress, but different characters. Yeah. And every time... It's the same. Something, ha- something He can never have her. Yeah. And um, he... Uh, and he's just going to perpetually live this over and over and right. over again. 
Um, which is, it's kind of perfect, and it's, it's so, it's, it's like, has, like, some strange bits in it. I oh, really God, like yeah. the, the penis, uh, removal. <laughs> oh, where he's, like, so his character, and, and, you know, we were talking about this, too, is, like, the, the town that he lives in, the general consensus that nobody fucking takes him seriously, yeah. you know? Like, they, not only do they, like, they don't, they don't listen to him when he tries to mention, like, hey, there's some weird stuff going on at the cemetery, but they also think that he's impotent. You know? Yeah. And so one of the incarnations of the woman he meets, she wants to be with him, but she's afraid of sex. So he wants to get his junk removed. <laughs> and the doctor just can't bring himself to do it, so he gives him, like, that that injection of, like, whatever. This will make your dick shrivel up and die. Right, yeah, for, like, a month, you know? And then, like, um... But then she comes back and she's like, I was raped by my boss, but I liked it. And, and now, now we're getting married. With, yeah, and, it's, and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you know? and, which uh, is like, okay, whose hell is this? Is this his hell? Or is this just like everyone's just stuck in this purgatory? Right. It's it's really fucking funny and weird. It is funny. Yeah. It's, it's dark, obviously. It's dark and it also, but there's also this great, like, um, you know, like, again, I think he's a very lonely character and there's the moments where he's speaking to a death-like character, which makes yeah. sense if you think of, like, Terry Gilliam's Adventure of Baron Munchausen, which Michele Suave was a uh, AD on. So, yeah. Um, it's, you know, like the Grim Reaper character, like the wings and the, the hooded and the skull face or anything. But there's moments where Death says to him, he's like, you don't even know, you can't even tell the difference anymore between the living and the dead. So what is your... What's what, the difference? What's, yeah. yeah, what's your purpose in this world if you can't tell the difference, you know? And so there's like, a, it, as silly as it sounds... Cemetery Man is like one of the closest to an existential zombie film you're ever yeah. gonna get. Like, because there's a lot of like, um, you know, what is, you know, what is life and what is death and and and, where, and love, yeah, and love exactly. And like, you know, he's falling in love three different times, and they all go sour for like a, or south for a different reason, and it just becomes this like, um, like I said, a meditation on like loneliness, and the only person he can talk to can't even say words. He just he just utters syllables, you know, uh-huh. or like grunts, you know. Um, but yet it's the most loyal person in his life. Um, and like you get, let's see, we've got, um, Cub Scout zombies, we've got motorcycle zombies. When I say motorcycle zombies. Oh yeah, and, and he has a a penchant for motorcycles because we. Demons. Yeah, and demons, there was a whole, there was, it was a great scene. And this is also a great scene and it comes right fucking out of the grave. I was going to say, a motorcycle zombie, he's not, he's he's not buried and he comes back to life and he hops on a motorcycle. He is buried on his motorcycle (laughs) And he comes out of the ground on his motorcycle, and he's covered in, like, you know, mechanical parts all over his face yeah. and everything. And uh, we have a headless zombie girl. Oh, yeah, which re- reminds me of a house that we did. Yeah. You know, a, um, a, another headless zombie. Another headless zombie or headless ghost or ghosts that can basically operate without the laws of... Of, of physics of or, phys- yeah. yeah. Um, we have that. We've got... Um, We've got Grim Reaper Death flying around at certain points. Um, at one point, um, Francesco is is getting so burnt out from killing the dead or putting the dead back into the graves, and and also the the utter uh, banality of his life. And and you know he's he's a character who who's only read two books, hasn't finished the, <laughs> one of them. The other one that he's read is uh, the phone book. Um, and uh, so he starts going on killing sprees, like actually killing living people. Yeah. And there's a a great moment where another person takes credit for his crimes and then then we kind of dive into like is he really committing these murders or is he fantasizing about it is is franco his friend the one who really was yeah. the murderer um are people dying at all you know like 
what gets, is happening. It, yeah. yeah, it gets a little confusing towards the end, but I think that's intentional where it's like, but he, he's so upset because he's like, why are you taking credit for my murders? And it's like, this guy, he, again, he, he lives in a town where he's, he's a caretaker, but he's, nobody takes him fucking seriously. And now he's doing these, he's doing this thing. And even that's being taken away from yeah. him. Because somebody's <laughs> taking credit for him. So it's this really like, um, very strange head trip of a, of an Italian horror film. I, I know I said I said this before we started watching it, but I, I stand to it. Um, Cemetery Man is my favorite, if not one of my top three horror films of ni- the nineties. Yeah, just, it, I remember distinctly watching it as a teenager. Like I, uh, there was a record store in Boston called Pipeline Records that had in the back room they had movies you could not watch or get here. Like um, that's where I first saw Meet the Feebles by Peter Jackson. Uh huh. These were all bootlegs off of like laser discs overseas. Oh yeah. So. Um, oh cool. Yeah, and so one of the, I mean there and there was video, so I, I got Cemetery Man. I rented Cemetery Man, and it was still Della Morte, Della Morte at the time. I'd read about it in Fangoria, and I dubbed a copy of it. I like put two VCRs next to each other, you know, plugged them in and copied a copy of Cemetery Man. So it was. A copy of a copy of a laser disc of Cemetery Man, <laughs> and uh, I, I was telling you, I like cut out all my little pictures from my from my Fangoria article, like paste them on a video cassette uh, case. So to I had, make your own, yeah. Yeah, to make my own. Awesome. And um, but that one really stood out to me is because like you know one as a as a what thirteen fourteen year old boy, it's like a lot of boobs. Oh yeah. Um, hot chicks, lots of boobs. Pretty violent, you know. Yeah. I mean, like um, gross. Yeah, gross, and like and then also just like that juvenile like. There was that, like, weird South Park-ish type of humor, especially with the puke. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but there's also that where Nagi, his assistant who can't really speak, becomes infatuated with the mayor's daughter. Yeah, so much that he, he, he yeah, vomits when, when he sees her. Yeah, and then, and then after she dies, you know, like, he accidentally, he, he's, he's digging her up and everything because he wants to see her again. And, um, and mind you, like, he's, like, this fucking bumbling, like, um, if you've ever saw City of Lost Children, one of the weird dudes with, like, the weird eyepiece and everything on his head that's chasing after the little girl, Ron Perlman, that's, that's him. not, that's him, yeah. Um, but he, like, accidentally severs the mayor's daughter's head, so... After death. After death. Yeah. So, like, she's, like, she's a talking head that also kind of moves on its own, you know, thing. Will, we don't know how. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's, like, the scene of him walking back to his little shack, and she's... And it's just, like, boop, little boop, head boop, following boop. Yeah. But, um... But, like, that weird, bizarre, like, you know, again, it was, like, um, it's that moment where, like, you have to accept the fact that nothing's going to make much, you know, it's not going to follow the, the same rules and logic of, yeah, know, and you just go with it. And I think that, um, and Rupert Everett is so fucking good in this movie, and it kills me that, like, I think that the other, I think one of the reasons why this movie got kind of buried in the States was because I think, um, and we've talked about this happening before. Um, Rupert Everett was going to be, was in, um, My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah. Julie Roberts. And I think that was their, was it Julie Roberts? Yeah. Yeah. And I think they were like, this is going to be his big, he's always been a big English, British actor, but this yeah. was going to be his big, like, American. You know, yeah. They yeah. were, I think they were trying to make him out to be like, he was going to be, uh, a more of an icon. And I think that, I, I don't know if that was one of the reasons why this movie got, uh, cast aside. Um, he loved making this from what I hear. Like, yeah. He, he was very enthusiastic. It must about have been it. super fun for him too. Absolutely, you know. Um, well, when a whole comic is based off. Well, he got a, he got he, he was weirded out know? by that, but he also got a kick out of it yeah. too. He's like they they sent him the Dylan Dog comic books first, and then he was like, "Oh, that's weird." And, yeah. then, <laughs> and then they sent him the script for the the, the Delamorte Delamore, and he was like, "Oh, 
yeah, All right. I'm yeah. into this, you know, and, and um, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, and I, I kind of, like I said, like, um, there was a Dylan Dog comic book made years ago, but this movie is kind of like the best hybrid of like the original story plus Dylan Dog comic books. It's got, you know, Dylan Dog is a little bit more softer. He's a little bit more like, um, he's not as misanthropic. He's, yeah. you know, but he still has the same brooding about like, what is life? What is love? What is this? What is that? Whereas, same thing in Delamore uh, to Delamore, but it's a little bit more like, uh, misanthropic more yeah more he's uh, very he's very brooding and like man babyish in it which is yeah. kind of funny what's the word i'm looking for though where it's like you're very um uh pessimistic yeah you know? whereas dylan nihilistic dog, a little bit yeah and dylan but... dog has the exact opposite where he's very much like he he's he's not pessimistic he's not nihilist he's not um he he believes that there's good people out there in the world and that you know it just he happens to be drawn to these like crazy scenarios where francesco delamore like that yeah. scene where he's like Oh, Jesus, he's talking to this old lady who's always visiting the, the cemetery, and she's, like, trying to talk to him, and like you said, he just kind of has his head out the window, <laughs> like, on his side, just driving, and, like, <laughs> so, so annoyed and disgusted, and I love it. Um, and, and it's so, there's something so matter-of-fact about this movie, it, the way Rupert Everett plays Yeah, it's, like, very dry in some spots, but that makes it really funny. And especially in contrast to all this crazy, surreal shit happening. Yeah. It's, like, the fact that he's got this very much, like, this is my job. I'm doing it. And yes, all these other crazy things are happening, but they're all part of the job. And yeah. it's like, fucking A. Like, like his ambivalence, too, towards uh, Nagi, especially when they're talking um, in the, the lunch scene, when they're outside, and mm-hmm. um, he's, like, talking, and the mayor is like, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, um, can you tell your daughter to move back, please? Uh, and he's just, like, still going off. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, just tell her to move back, because, you know. And he's then he excited. Yeah, yeah, he's getting excited. But it's, like, so, de- it's delivered perfectly that, like, makes it so fucking funny. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, to him, it's just a, it's a normal everyday it's, yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, like, totally normal. Nagi too. gets excited, mm-hmm. Nagi throws up everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and, and I love the actor who plays Nagi, too. I mean, like, he, um, you he's really sympathetic. You you care about him. You care about the dynamic. I mean, you he does play them as like a puppy dog, like literally a puppy dog. But then there's a great don't want to give anything away. But there's a great little moment towards the end of the movie where you're like, or I guess the end of the movie where you're like, oh shit, you know, like now now the movie's become something else. And right when it becomes yeah. something else, that's when the movie ends. The, and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, there's a I whole love that. Movie. Yeah, I like that too. I um. I really dig it, and like it's funny because you see some people that Michaela Suave, he worked the one of the uh, actresses in the film, not the lead actress, but one of the actresses she plays a prostitute. She was in the church. Yes, which you pointed out to me, which is so crazy because she she obviously is not a different person, but she looks so different in the Absolutely. church and, and plays like a completely different type of character. Right, in in, in Cemetery Man, she plays a prostitute. In in the church, she plays like a researcher. Or yeah, like somebody working at a church, no less, and like. Um, I, I think Michele Suave, like, I've only seen his first movie, which was Stage Fright, which I recommend to everybody. It's this great... I've only seen The Church in this. Um, Stage Fright was the slasher film he did where... I uh, maybe a giallo. It depends on how you want to look at it. It's more leans towards slasher, but these these uh, theater actors are putting on this play about this, uh, this serial killer that terrorized the town or everything, and then the killer breaks out, and he goes, and he's attacking him in the theater, and it's like... But they're doing a story. They're doing a play about the killer, and they're all trapped in this thing. And you've mm-hmm. seen, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen stills of like the the killer wearing this giant owl mask. Yeah. And like cover, like feathers descending from the 
from the rafters while he's just sitting there, like, surrounded by dead bodies and stuff like that. Like, it is a fucking rad um, little slasher film that, funny enough, I own, but I've only watched twice, and both times were on an airplane. Oh, really? So I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to pop this in. Like, I actually have a file of Italian horror films that I bring with me uh-huh. when I go, when I travel on a plane, because I don't know what... I, I feel always... like, and I, don't, I, I feel like, Itali- I, and especially stuff gets incorporated into my dreams so much, and Italian horror very much is, is very, you like, like you said, atmospheric and very dreamy. Yes. And so I feel like it influences my brain the most. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I, I feel like I would, like, if I fell asleep on the plane after watching it, I'd wake up and be like, ah! Well, the thing is, I, I always realized that, like, the other thing about the Italian horror films is they had a different, uh, they had different sensibilities. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm always, like, watching, and I think I've talked about this before, there's, like, a great scene in Manhunter when he's, like, when he's looking at the case files on the plane, he falls asleep. Yeah. And he wakes up to the girl screaming, because he's got all these, like, pictures of these dead bodies. I'm always watching these movies, and there's, like, we'll see a lot of, like, you know, you'll see a lot of women nudity. running around. Nudity. A lot, a lot of, of, like, yes, exploitation and, and not, and when it gets gory, it's like, you know, you get, somebody gets... They don't just get, like, you know, stabbed in the head. It's like something Yeah, their goes, eyes come out, yeah. and, like, their spray. Right, so then I go, oh, shit, I probably shouldn't be watching this on an airplane when, like, I have, like, this weird, weird, like, this fucking uggo weirdo next to me, like, <laughs> you know, just, like, sighing heavily, and I'm, like, you know, I say that they're weird, but I'm the one watching it, but, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely, like, Italian horror is very dreamlike, and I feel like this movie does not, um, does not, it, it is no exception. I mean, this movie's got a very dreamlike quality to the yeah. point where... You feel like you've been dreaming for three hours when you really have only been watching a ninety-minute film. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do appreciate that. I think again, Italian horror and Italian film in general is really cool. Um, it's funny because I know um, Fulci's. I think one of his first movies was a story about the church. Um, this, it's a. It was like. I think it was like 69 or something and he made this movie about um this woman who had her like stepfather murdered and it was a big deal and I guess it was like one of the Italian films that was banned just because of the fact that it it attacked the church because he was very uh anti-church which is very interesting and then all of a sudden it's like he gave up on that which is sad another sad giving sure. up dream of attacking the church through film but um, it is very, it, Italian film is just, like, some of the most beautiful. Well, because they express, I feel like their, their concerns with expressing emotion as opposed to expressing facts. Yeah. And I love that. Like, yeah. even if the dialogue doesn't make sense, like, there's so many Argento films where, like, you're like, what? And it's not just the translation, it's just, like, some of what sure. <laughs> they're saying sure. in it, but, like, you don't care because everything else is just so, it feels so perfect. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, like, and, and, you know, again, like, with, with Italian horror films, the way I always describe people who are, like, you know, to, is a, is kind of like a guide, is like, yeah. um, it's, it's always the journey, it's not the destination, you know, like, that, that quote really applies to Italian horror films, yeah. it's like, who fucking cares what the story is? Like, go for the fucking ride, like, Suspiria is a pretty straightforward story. Girl goes to a school run by witches. But the whole journey in that movie, that whole, like, trip that you go down with the music and the feeling and the weird, yeah. like, the weird set, like, the weird pe- murder pieces and everything are, um, beautiful. They're, mm-hmm. they're, it's weird. My mom, I don't think I could get her to sit through Suspiria. But if I was going to show her, like, a full-on horror movie, that'd be the one to show her. Yeah. Like, I've shown her other movies that are, like, that are horror comedies, whatever, but, like, Suspiria's one, like, no, mom, look, horror movies can be beautiful. Yes, that person's getting stabbed in the heart, and yes, you're but... seeing a knife cut into the heart. Yeah. But, but doesn't it look beautiful, you know? Um, and I feel like the same thing about Cemetery Man, so, you know, so, um, it's a hard movie to find. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and the soundtrack's great. 
It is, and it's so much fun. It really is. It's really funny. It's it's funny. It's funny. It's fun. It's like it'll you know you watch it at the right time. It gets you thinking about stuff. Um, it definitely has like a moody feel to it. Very existential. Um, very different than a lot of other '90s horror films. Mm-hmm. This was like '94. '94, I think it was released in '95. So we're kind of in, like we're into the mid '90s at this point. So we've kind of shed our early '90s, late '80s yeah. style that we, we we've talked about before. Where some movies that came out in like '90, '91. It's like not cheesy, if that's the word. Like I feel like a lot of '90s horror, especially in America, is like very cheesy. But I like that. Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel cheesy it's just more like dry and yeah. funny it doesn't feel of its time it yeah it doesn't. it doesn't feel like tied to a specific time period it feels very timeless and you can watch this at any decade you can watch it it doesn't matter you're not like oh my god look at that style look at that this look at that um so definitely it's a hard movie to find these days i think it's going to get a bigger release re-release soon um it, the soundtrack is available you know on vinyl i recommend getting that because it is fucking dynamite um, very quirky, very... Who did uh, it? Uh, Manuel De Sica, I believe his name was. Another, um, yeah, there's, like, so the scores, too, and the composers, and, and I mean, of Italian, obviously, we're gonna talk about... Absolutely. Morricone, who is one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, for real, like, uh, I, I love, you know, I do love American horror, and I love American films, um, but as far as, you know, like, horror goes... Italy's definitely the way to go. Yeah. I mean, out of all of the movies we've we've watched around the world, the one that I get the most out of is Italian. You know? Yeah. Just because, again, it's the emphasis is a little bit less. I mean, um, I think you know when we've watched when we watched um, our Korean film, we watched you know I, I do love Japanese horror and everything, but like um, I feel like with Japanese horror, I feel like it, and, and Korean horror, with Asian horror in general, I feel like it, it benefits. It's 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 interesting to watch as a cultural thing, whereas with Italian horror, it's like I I I'm not even thinking about that. I'm like like you said, you're it's like, seeing art. Yeah, I'm like well, I'm, it's all art, but like it's just in in a different exactly. Yeah, like you're, like you just said, uh, yes, uh, Manuel De Sica, um, and he cool. did the soundtrack, and it is fucking fantastic. You should totally check it out. Find the movie, um, watch the movie. Um, it is a yeah. great. It's fun. It's super fun. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, um, I don't know where we're going next, but... Um, yeah, we're, we're still around the world. We'll, we'll, there's a lot of places, so we'll probably... I feel like we're going to come back to Italian horror, even when we're not doing the world, because there's so many Italian horror films that we both like that we want to, like, do. Yeah, like, of course. Gonna... And we've already done two already, yeah, exactly. you know? So, I, I mean, it's kind of impossible not to talk yeah. about Italian horror, but, like... Yeah, again, there's so much influence in the world, and we're just trying to cover a little piece of it. Right. So, join us. Yeah. Join us next time. Yeah, and yeah, well, we'll, we'll see where we're at. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm the watchman of the Buffalora Cemetery. My name's Francesco Della Morti. I don't know how the epidemic started. All I know is that some people, on the seventh night after their death, come back to life. With your consent, I'd like to marry Nagy. Not as long, dear, as I've got a breath in my body. We'll fix that right away. Stop killing the dead. If you don't want the dead coming back to life, 
Why don't you just kill the living? Are you listening to me? Don't you believe me? No. Tough.